Welcome to the Digital Transformation of Business podcast, brought to you by Hughes On. Well, hey there. We're here for yet another episode of the Digital Transformation of Business podcast. We're joined here with the usual suspects, myself, Curtis Campbell, Senior Marketing Manager with Hughes. We've got my friend Chuck Keeler, Creative Director with Hughes as well. Um, also continue to be joined by Nick Koval, a network architect on the Hughes Large Enterprise. And now we've got Jeff Bradbury joining us, who's a Senior Marketing Director. You know, Jeff, you and I had a chance to talk off microphone about the, about some topics in a previous episode that we uh, that we recorded with uh, with Nick Koval kind of talked about SD-WAN, what it is, where the history was. Um, and so I think probably what it would be really interesting to talk about would be some of the use cases of SD-WAN, how companies are able to start saving some pretty serious money rolling out an SD-WAN strategy as part of their overall digital transformation. So Jeff, I'm going to kind of uh, point some questions at you and, and Nick. And jumping right into it, you know, there's a lot of people that already recognize the cost savings moving away from like an, a traditional MPLS to, uh, to broadband circuits. But talk us through some of the other opportunities about, you know, where people are starting to save some money in this area. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think you hit, uh, you know, the nail on the head. I think, you know, maybe going back uh, a handful of years, you know, there was an obvious challenge with people who had been uh, living on a, you know, a, a T1 line at one and a half megabits per second, started taking on some new tools and, and new applications and suddenly realized that one and a half megabits per second uh, line that they've had for years suddenly just didn't cut it anymore. They needed more bandwidth. And so you start looking around for better uh, better bandwidth availability or better, better uh, uh, bandwidth options. And it was very difficult to find a good solution that was cost effective. If you try to just scale up to a larger... Uh, you know, carrier-based service, it got very expensive very quickly as you started scaling up to 5 megabit per second or 10 megabit per second lines. So the uh, the challenge was, what, is, what else was out there? And, and the short answer was it was broadband. And of course, broadband, you could get quite high capacities, uh, bandwidth volumes, uh, for, for, you know, relatively uh, acceptable price points. And so people were looking at three, four, maybe even five times cost savings for bandwidth that was an order of magnitude greater than you were likely getting from your T1 line. So, so it looked good, but of course there were a lot of challenges there. So I think go going into the conversation, there were already folks who were looking at how do I augment my safe, stable, traditional MPLS solution with a, a broadband-based uh, secondary circuit that would help flesh out my, my bandwidth capabilities and, and you know kind of provide what I need for some for some of my applications, but still have that MPLS backbone for my, my ultra-critical items. And so, you know, that led into the hybrid WAN era, and which has, you know, have been with us, you know, Nick, keep me honest here, five years, seven years, hybrid WAN has been yeah. pretty, pretty de facto. Thank you. De look, look, loquacious as ever. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> um, Affirmative. <laughs> but um, but what was interesting was SD-WAN came along, and you had people who suddenly said, oh, this actually takes... Uh, some of my challenges with hybrid WAN to the next level and really gives me an opportunity to move away from MPLS. So a lot of people walking in looked at the, um, at the transition uh, to SD-WAN as an opportunity to move away from MPLS, and they looked at uh, just the raw cost savings, right? The, you know, how many megabits per second do I need? What kind of line can I get? Cut the MPLS line, add the, add the, uh, the broadband circuit, and suddenly my cost savings was the delta between those two price points. You know, that was, a, a, a fairly simplistic model, and B, it, it didn't really um, take into account the, you know, the whole plethora of things that happen around SD-WAN 
that that add to or are additive to um, the overall cost calculation. And so I think one of the big things uh, people quickly realized was with the, with an SD-WAN approach, you have this ability to centrally manage your policies and your uh, your network configurations, which greatly reduces you know the overhead it takes to uh, maintain and operate your network. And so you have this fairly large um, cost saving element and just the reduced uh, man hours it takes to to operate your network. And so I think in a lot of cases, you know, it, without without seeing that up front, it may not have been intuitive. But you know, the central premise of SD-WAN is this uh, orchestration layer and this ability to do centralized management, uh, which greatly reduces how complex it is to, to individually manage each of your endpoints um, and allows you, like I said, to do this centralized policy management and centralized configuration changes where everything gets changed correctly, reduces the likelihood of human injected errors, uh, and again, gives you a chance to do that without having to roll somebody to a site or having somebody log in remotely to each site and do all those changes manually. So, so a reduction of complexity naturally results in lower cost. Is that too generalized? Is that overgeneralized? I, I, it's probably a, it's a reduction of complexity and a reduction in um, the individual activities necessary to, to manage the system the old way, where you had to remotely log into individual sites and make the changes on each individual site. Now, that may not have been a big difference if you had 10 sites to manage, but if you had 1,000 sites, just fundamentally the logging out and logging in remotely to 1,000 sites probably slows you down by several man days of, that, uh, of, of whatever change you were trying to make. And Nick's got a much better feel for this. So, so Nick, you want to talk about the centrality of this uh, centralized manage management uh, and policy application process and, and just the, the way it greatly simplifies the, the operational uh, requirements for an SD-WAN-based network? Yeah, so in the IT organizations really are with this type of solution, with these types of management orchestration systems, it allows them to you know, be more agile in how they deploy either sites or applications, right? At the end of the day, the IT or the network engineer is when he looks to make a change in the field, he's looking to add something or change something like a feature or a capability or a security policy because I need to control access in some way from a user or an application. And so in the old world, that was the tedious part because I had, I had, I wasn't able to do that in a very repeatable automated fashion. SD-WAN simplifies that greatly through automation and central orchestration. And, you know, on the counterpoint of that, it introduces a variety of new complexities that are associated to, like, the transport technologies that are powered by SD-WAN solutions. So it helps create and reduce or enable agility in some aspects, and it creates some other challenges in other ones. Can you talk about those other challenges? Yeah, sure. So, for example, one thing that, you know, the... The, um, the cost savings are associated to using the internet or broadband circuits to connect SD-WAN sites together as a trade-off, right? There's no free lunch. So what you, what you give up for the cost, right, is the variability and reliability of the individual circuits. So SD-WAN solutions out there enable the um, integration of multiple circuits to increase that overall availability, right, by, by using diverse technologies and, and, and stitching them together. But that comes with a need for a separate set of technologies or maybe network policies to ensure a quality of service, right? And you need to be able to know how much bandwidth is there. And when you have a network with thousands of sites, you have hundreds of service plans. And that was a complexity that didn't exist 
in the MPLS world, right? Everyone had a 1.5 meg circuit, or maybe half the network had a three meg circuit. That's two policies. Now you have 200 service plans and the, and the upstream and downstream is different. And in order to guarantee a quality user experience or deliver QoS, you need to now manage that complexity. And that wasn't you know, available at the initial market offset of the you know, technologies out there today. That's helpful, thanks, Nick. Go, going back to your point, Curtis, about sort of where some of the cost savings is sort of generated in the, in the SD-WAN trade-off, I, I think it's probably also worth thinking about, and again, I'll, I'll turn to Nick for his expertise on this, but like many other aspects of technology, the um, deployment of SD-WAN sort of abstracted away from the um, command line coding you had to do to provision and uh, configure your edge-based routing products. Um, so with a modern SD-WAN solution, somebody could sit at a con one of these management consoles, apply the policies at a business level. The system will systematize those policies and apply them to the uh, to the devices, to the device configurations and, and policy settings, uh, and do that for you. And so part of the, uh, another part of the cost savings of an SD-WAN solution is the fact that you don't have to have highly specialized individuals who are trained on a specific language for a specific set of hardware uh, and that sort of uh, you know, requirement. You can actually extract away to a, uh, maybe a more generalist or somebody who's got a, a slightly different skill set uh, which alters the, the cost base for that resource or the number of resources you need. Nick, you want to add in on that? Yeah, I think what that is really kind of allowing IT organizations to do now is enable more people to or enable more or different roles in the IT organization to actually do this same this, this function, right? So in order to de deploy business policies for a WAN, you no longer have to be a network engineer, right? So m less senior people can now be a part of configuring and operating the networks. That widens the availability, you know, the talent pool for being able to um, orchestrate networks these days. So you mentioned day-to-day -day management is uh, made more simple when it comes to a thousand sites, for example. So at what point does a distributed organization uh, see that these technologies really do um, reduce costs? Is it when you hit a certain number of uh, locations, is it going to be, I mean, if you have a bakery with five locations versus a restaurant with a thousand locations, at what point does it really become crucial and important and necessary to implement these technologies in order to cut costs? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Chuck. And I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to quickly throw this to, to Nick because he'll have a particular perspective on this. But I think what's interesting about SD-WAN is it is advantageous for almost every tier of the business world to look at SD-WAN. The simplicity of the interface, the commonality of the, that central management function and make sure everything gets deployed the same way, uh, the centrality of how you manage and update or make changes. Uh, it, it probably is beneficial for almost every tier, or every, every scale of business. But your, your point is well taken, which is, in some cases, the benefit may skew more towards the, it's simpler, I don't have to have a highly specialized network engineer do some of this, I can have sort of maybe my IT generalist 
uh, take on a lot of this role. So there's a lot of aspects that probably make it easier from a small deployment perspective that's skewed to that side of the equation. But certainly when you get to a large scale number, that repeatability, that automated change management and that sort of thing probably takes on a more centralized role. Nick, do you have a sense to, when you think about where this gets applied, how it applies maybe differently at the smaller end of the customer base to the to the larger end? Yeah, so if I try to look at this through the lens of the business and how, like, as us as a service provider, we serve larger organizations, and I think that kind of explains how the complexity of an SD-WAN deployment is direct, directly related to the quantity of endpoints. Because our customer network sizes, like the variety of um, sizes in our customers vary complexity-wise from like a, a, the amount of endpoints or the amount of branch locations or stores or however you describe your, where you put your SD-WAN appliance, for example, or your router. So as, an organiza- as any company grows, right, every company starts out with a small number and goes to a big number. And through the evolution, the IT organization doesn't grow at that same rate, right? If you have one site, you have one guy, one guy that's doing network and a bunch of other things. But once you get to 1,000 sites, you don't have 1,000 network engineers. At some point, when you scale up, you, you have to recognize that there's certain needs from a talent perspective or a labor perspective that don't scale at the same rate that your, your branch network is scaling to. And one unique thing that we are very familiar with is... The, um, the labor and the time that is needed to manage all the different providers of the last mile connections of the broadband internet connections, right? So if you have a, a thousand sites in your network, you will likely have um, dozens of, of suppliers or providers, meaning individual partners that your business is going to have to interact with to secure connectivity for your locations. And then each one of those providers is going to have a plethora. So you're going to have hundreds of service plans and dozens of providers. And in the previous world, before SD-WAN, that was usually one or two providers, right? And that was essentially probably two service plans. So when your you know, branch population grows at scale like that, the IT organizations typically can't scale that quickly. Now, it's not uncommon for a very, very large organization to have the skill set in-house to be able to do something like that. But we basically see if you have a couple hundred locations, like the tipping point is probably around like 150, 200 locations, and then into like the low thousands, once you get into like 5,000 plus, it's, that's representative of a very mature business, a company that's been around for a while. And um, those companies and those businesses have more of an appetite for leveraging uh, and managing those kind of complexities in-house. Can you give us an example of how this would work, maybe with a hypothetical company of a, a certain size, how this transformation has really can really benefit their organization? Yeah, I, I think we can. And um, I'll look again to Nick to keep me honest on this. But, but I think one of the examples we like to share, because it, it shows a company that has really taken on this digital transformation uh, effort in a, in, a, in a really committed way is, is somebody we work with in the financial services industry. Uh, this is a, a company that's almost 2,000 sites uh, uh, spread across the U.S., so they're, they're highly distributed across the, the lower 48 states. They have a requirement to do a lot of relatively um, interactive activities with their customers. Their customers come into their um, services location. They have to fill out forms. Those forms have 
both federal and state requirements to them. They are two-way applications. You fill out an application, it gets sent someplace that, that uh, you know, other location will have to create some sort of response to the request, either approving it or, or highlighting credit score or background financial information or validating ownership or whatever, come back into the, into this, the site. There's some more applications that have to be filled out. It's a very, very complex, multi-step uh, environment. And on top of that, a lot of their services and their follow-up uh, services to their, their customers happen over the phone. So they're also a large VoIP or uh, voice over IP user. So here's an example of a company that's taken on VoIP as a major enterprise application, has very sophisticated uh, two-way interactive um, transactional form-based uh, applications, again, that have to go to, to banking partners, have to go to federal financial services validators, have to go to state financial services validators. So pretty sophisticated customer. And in doing that, they really had, they really looked ahead and said, you know, how do we optimize the experience, deliver it in a way that um, gives me high availability and high confidence that my applications are always going to work at my location so I have no disruption uh, to my workers or to my customers, and deliver it in a wholesome and full way where they've moved away from paper-based processes. So, I mean, they've really kind of deeply, deeply committed to this transformation. It's touched every aspect of their business and fundamentally underpinned this this transition to a, to a fully digital enterprise, all supported by this sophisticated SD-WAN network that keeps all of these applications running smoothly, keeps everybody connected, makes all of these secure connections to all of these other third-party partners. Uh, so I, I think that's a great example. Uh, Nick, uh, thinking about this particular customer, anything you'd want to add or any, any insights into the uniqueness of their SD-WAN deployment? Well, I think that was well said, Jeff. The other thing, the one thing that I might just highlight is in their, in their digital transformation journey, what they practically did was they centralized a lot of applications that were historically decentralized. And so when they did that, they built a dependence on the WAN. And as they did that, they in turn recognized that they needed to increase the availability on their wide area network because now their business applications that were facing customers and tied to transactions that you just described with all of the paperwork that has been digitized and the forms and the approvals, and also how they transformed from a PSTN network to a digital voice over IP network, that when they moved from local voice at POTS lines at the local branch to a centralized SIP provider, that centralized communications even more, and that built a higher dependence on that connection back to the central office or, the, or even the cloud where they're moving to now. And so when they, in this digital transformation journey, they adopted SD-WAN because as they were bringing applications back, they were also leveraging uh, the cloud and internet connectivity. And so it was a natural fit or requirement for them to figure out how to leverage the internet and broadband access to to evolve their their um, their business process. I like I like to see what would have happened had they not rolled this out. Where would their business have been lacking? Would they be limping? Would they be able to grow at the rate that they have been able to with this investment? So kind of kind of just explain to the audience what would have happened had they not done this. Uh, that's that's a good way to look at it because the constraint that they were living within was really bandwidth. And they were, lever they were using MPLS T1 connections before that. So when they, what I think they wouldn't have been able to do is, is centralize their application hosting. 
So for example, one common thing that they're looking at now is centralizing um, desktop services, right? With virtual desktop environments. So what that means is they're, uh, they're increasing the operational efficiency of their IT support staff so that they can maintain all of their desktop support functions centrally, as opposed to previously, they would have to, if they wanted to update a desktop, right? They'd have to go out and touch, they might use some automation, but they practically need some tool to go out and touch every one of those 1800 locations. So the, the, the need for increased operational efficiency drove the need for that bandwidth because that's the only way they could centralize those operations and make it more efficient to upgrade and manage those, um, those desktops. And by doing that centrally, you save money in licensing because um, virtualizing and digitizing these things centrally is m gaining commodities of scale, right? You're able to much, you're able to oversubscribe your underlying resources that power those applications. Providers offer services that are centralized or hosted for cheaper. So the IT organization was wanting to save money at the end of the day and making it more, and making, by making it simpler to manage their you know, remote desktop environments, but they practically needed extra bandwidth in that WAN to fit all that traffic back through it. So they would, they would not have been able to, I don't think, centralize a lot and, and reduce those IT support costs without um, adding those, without leveraging the internet and broadband circuits to get that bandwidth. So from a fourth grade level, you know, the, what we're looking at right now is the fact that had they not done this, they'd be spending a ton more money than they are currently to do the exact same thing. And it probably wouldn't be done as well. Yeah, I think so. And I think partially what it also means is that they were able to save money in some areas to justify some investment in the SD-WAN area. Because as kind of mentioned in some other discussions in different parts, um, you know, there are, there are costs that go up in certain areas. So it's everything's a trade-off. And by increasing efficiency here, you um, gain, get some benefits there, other places as well. Yeah, I definitely feel like I'm at a disadvantage in this discussion because I feel I'm, I'm sitting here with a uh, hypothetical uh, uh, advanced vocabulary uh, bingo sheet. Turns out I win. Yes. So, anyways. Who's the judge of that, though? I'm not sure. It's a game all by myself. We're going to promote Chuck to be the judge next time? Apparently. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as Curtis. Yeah. So no, it's it's been it's been a fascinating discussion. Uh, There'll be a quiz at the end. Yeah, definitely a quiz at the end. Are there other technologies that you might want to include in this transformation that might make sense? Nick, you mentioned VoIP. There might be some media technologies. What other things might you want to look at if you're going to commit to such a transformation? What other technologies are out there that might make sense to include in this big upgrade? Well, I mean, I mean, from my perspective, granted. Mine's very focused on the digital media side of the house. My perspective would be you're spending all this time and energy to reduce the complexity of your network, yet do more with it. There's a lot of things that you can include as part of that strategy to make it even more effective. And that, I mean, there's things, you know, all the way down the line along with customer-facing signage in retail. One of the things that, w that I've, been, uh, I've been working on is the ability to deliver digital signage uh, in a very scalable fashion to... Smart TVs, smart TV digital signage, you know, it's contingent upon the cloud. You've got to have a good connection to be able to connect to it. Whether it's, you know, whether it's wireless or wired, it doesn't really matter. But you talk about the, the centralization of applications. You know, you talk about somebody else in the home office that's able to get a unified message out to every single customer through hundreds of thousands or even, you know, I shouldn't say, you're able to have somebody in the central location get out a, a, a unified message to single, dozens, hundreds, thousands of locations 
with a, cl a few clicks of the mouse or a few keystrokes of the keyboard or something like that. And they're able to do it in, from a retail store perspective or a retail operations manager. You know, it's not like they're having to tear up the floor to put in new cabling. They're not having to take out the ceiling tiles or whatever. You know, they're able to take a, you know, a, a thin bezel smart TV, hang it on the wall and get signage, right? And so it's all about the connection. But then you take that step, you know, the other direction and you can now put, you know, cloud-based communication systems in place where employees are, right? So, you know, we live in a day and age, you know, we mentioned this on an earlier episode where employees are all about trying to get information, just like millennials want information now, right? And if they don't have it, they're not going to be loyal. They're not going to be excited. They're not going to be, you know, they're not going to go the extra mile for a customer. But if you get that information to them and it's coming from central office or as Mike Tippett likes to talk about, accelerating the speed of the boardroom to the showroom, that's all based on the connection and based on the way you display it through that endpoint. And then, of course, you can use the same type of connection for employee training. You talk about, again, the centralization of applications in the home office, and there's a lot you can do as part of this all-encompassing digital transformation that we're all talking about. So when you're talking SD-WAN, is the name of the game cost reduction, or does that just a, a byproduct of a better technology? Is Why do we implement SD-WAN? Is it are we going to go to senior management and say, hey, we're going to do SD-WAN because it saves money? Or is it, hey, we're going to do SD-WAN because of this, that, and the other? By the way, if we do it right, we could cut costs. Yeah, that's, that's a, you've asked the $64,000 question. And oddly enough, this is a question that Nick and I have actually discussed at least twice in the last two or three days. Um, the, the short answer to your question is, is, is it about cost savings? The short answer appears to be no. We were just talking about a recent survey that came out that uh, seems to indicate that cost savings is, uh, is not one of the top three reasons people seek to adopt an SD-WAN solution. So I think that the cost savings perspective is a bit of, uh, of a tangential benefit or a, 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 you know, an added benefit. I think to Nick's point, if you, if you want to do something, if you've, you've got a reason to be looking uh, at refreshing or updating your network, uh, and you're making some decisions about what you want to do. Uh, SD-WAN makes sense for a whole host of reasons, and we'll get to those uh, in a second. But one of the things that it does do, as Nick pointed out, is it does allow you to find places where there can be cost savings so that you might choose to apply those savings to some other aspect of your IT infrastructure or application infrastructure uh, so that you can take advantage of your new higher capacity, you know, next generation network. So, you know, you asked a good question a second ago about if you take on an SD, SD-WAN network, what are some of the other things you might want to look at? That, that, that sort of puts the, the question uh, a, a bit backwards. It kind of puts the cart before the horse. What you really want to do is figure out what is your digital transformation driver? What's your strategy or your need? And then depending on what that answer is, you can figure out what, uh, what tools and what applications and what, uh, what new technology you want to bring to bear, uh, and that might inform your decisions on how you size and design your network, of which I think SD-WAN would, would likely be some component of that. Uh, yeah, so go, like, reflecting on Chuck's question about, um, you know, if you have this new network, what are some things you can kind of use it for? What we, what we see is that these solutions are typically bought in like, you know, typically a three to seven year life cycle. And depending on where your network refresh lies in where 
your the the in, in kind of where the state of the, the the industry is. IT is could be considered the cost center, which is reacting to the line of business that's creating a bunch of drivers or requirements for needs that the that the IT department can't meet. And that could drive the IT department to shop for an SD-WAN network. Or the you could your the buy cycle could be near the end of the life of existing technology and they might be on the cutting edge of before the line of business is coming with all these overwhelming requirements. And so they may look to the line of business to help justify the investment because they may need to spend some more money on a different part of the solution. And then they look to build that ROI through initiatives from other parts of the line of business, maybe from the marketing department. Um, so I, we see it, at, you know, because the, the IT buy cycle can be long, it really depends on where that lands in the technology life cycle that we're in. And we're right in this influx of where SD-WAN is really popular right now. So um, it depends on where, what, cycle, what part of the cycle you're in and, and if your line of business is really creating the demands that's, that's pressing for you to make that decision. You know, while we've been sitting here talking, um, you know, I, as I was thinking, there's actually an article that I saw on LinkedIn that was posted by one of our uh, fellow associates uh, on the sales team, uh, Chris Pascal that you know, there's an article on Network World that's talking about retail IoT is still coming into its own in 2019. So you know, <clears throat> we all know that IoT in this sector is growing fast, right? So what in your mind is the new killer app, right? What, 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 takes, that, what's, what takes a business as part of that? Because IoT really kind of lumps everything together, right? You know, we talk about SD-WAN and a, you know, centralization of applications being this hub, right? So in your perspective of IoT, you know, what's the, where is it going now across retail? Well, um, in, the, in the context of IoT and retail, I think what I would say, what I see is that there's an explosive need for sensors, for devices that gather telemetry information about environmental conditions, about security conditions. And so really the practical IoT deployments that are kind of available and coming to market now are really censored, are really centered around sensor type of technologies that enable centralized orchestration or management of a lot of these um, elements of the operational business that was that required people to um, be there on site to monitor if the refrigerator is running, right? Yeah. And go catch it. But you can't see if the refrigerator is <laughs> running unless you're actually there. Um, I think what the, the IT departments are looking to use IoT is to centralize back to the centralization of things that get commodities at scale. If you can deploy sensors to more intelligently uh, manage your cost centers from, from heating to cooling to security costs, that really is what IoT devices are, are really enabling, I think, in the near term. Yeah, I mean, there, there's stuff in this article that just kind of blows my mind. You know, there's, there's, there's something in here that I, I just, I, I almost feel obligated to tell you how mind-blowing this is. But Walmart, for example, you know, this, this company that's constantly fighting against Amazon, right, to, to you know, offer that two-day shipping and all that other stuff. <clears throat> They've filed patents for the ability to put biometric sensors on the shopping cart handles to be able to provide feedback on consumer shopping habits. So, you know, I, I can't imagine what kind of metrics they're getting from me as what I'm shopping for <laughs> in, in a store. Your heart rate my or what? Heart, what is my it? Heart, I don't know. That's the thing. But obviously, there's, I mean, there's a need for this, and it's all kind of wrapped into this whole IoT strategy, you know, that it serves as the backbone for a company's growth strategy. So, 
you know, one thing I'm also interested in to maybe pick your brain a little bit on is this whole concept. We know that the Amazon, right, is this, this five billion pound elephant, right, that everybody wants to beat. And <clears throat> now companies are now saying, well, if we can't beat them, join them. We've seen strategies like where Kohl's now allows you to return Amazon items inside their stores. Um, and ship it back to Amazon for free and get a coupon for something at Kohl's in their stores. Wow, I didn't know that. Well, I have to tell yeah, my wife. Yeah, right? And <laughs> I, I, so anyways, yeah, you can go and return your own items at Kohl's from Amazon. So, But Amazon's now gone the other direction where they're, they're opening these Amazon Go stores, right? I went to one in Seattle a couple weeks ago, and that was mind-blowing because you could walk in there, and there was no one there except for the dude just standing there at the door to say hi, right? You walk in, you swipe your phone, you go and you pick your items, you scan them as you go and you just walk out, right? So what in your mind, why are they opening these brick and mortar stores if they've been so successful at this, you know, e-commerce? Okay, sure. I'll, I'll hop on that. <clears throat> I, I think, you know, we, we have heard for the last handful of years that retail is dying. And you know, certainly the Chicken Littles out there had some element of, of fact to their story. But the reality is, is people still have some need, some requirement to go grab something, uh, actually go touch something, go shop, have an experience. And, you know, we hear this from our, our retail customers and the folks in the retail industry that we talk to, Right. They're trying to make the in-store experience more relevant for those things where the customer gets more value being in the store so that they win that competition. And for the things that the customer doesn't have to buy in the store, uh, right, they can order it online or do some e-commerce solution and find that. And, and there's, you're going to find a place where I think the store experience is going to become more geared towards helping customers find that reason to be in the store, find that added value of either, you know, getting expert advice, being a, uh, an, ha having an option to compare two things right next to each other and really appreciate it, some tactile element or whatever, they're going to they're find a way to make that in-store experience valuable for, for whatever those particular things are. You know, and I think that actually also, now that you've said what you've said, which is great, um, also kind of like lays the groundwork for Amazon having now countless distribution sites across multiple geographies, right? So now they just have a small format distribution center in downtown Seattle or downtown DC or, you know, for that matter, Milwaukee, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, rather than having a full-blown distribution center that costs Amazon tens of millions of dollars to build out and hundreds of employees, they can now have really one. It's part of the natural progression, I think, of Amazon, where they started out with books and they expanded to other things, housewares and tools and other products. And then it really became the everything store, but not quite. I think that was the, the goal of Jeff Bezos. Having read his biography recently, it's, it's given me a whole new perspective. And he, he definitely wants to provide a shopping experience for everything you could possibly want to buy. And it's going to take time before Amazon gets to the point where everything you could possibly ever want to buy is going to be done through Amazon. This is a very logical next step that kind of surprised everybody. But then if you step back and think about it, it's not that shocking that you would, if you want to buy a sandwich, you're not going to buy it on Amazon. Maybe if they're going to deliver it to your home, like we talked about in the last episode, maybe they're going to deliver it um, Uber Eats style to your home within an hour. But if you're walking down the street and you want to grab uh, a sandwich and a bag of chips and a drink or a cup of coffee or something, 
walking into the Amazon Go store is the logical uh, way to do that. So what's next for Amazon? Well, let me, uh, I don't have a good answer for you because obviously Jeff Bezos is much more, much more attuned and much more plugged in to um, what's going on in his industry and, and uh, where he's taken the organization. Um, I mean, he's, he has proven everybody wrong on every possible way. Everything, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how many people have bet against him and how many people have lost lots and lots of money betting against Jeff Bezos. But, but let, me, let me offer a counter to that, which is uh, I saw an article just a, maybe about a month ago about the new Nordstrom store. And Nordstrom's is always, you know, well-known. What is it about Seattle and really great retail companies? Uh, it's kind of, kind of a... Coffee and yeah, retail, maybe, right? maybe it's all the coffee. It's, um, <laughs> it's because they have no choice but to keep shopping because it rains all the you time. Know, yeah, maybe, yeah. And they stay inside shopping. So, but, but Nordstrom's is looking at how do they compete in this environment? And so they had uh, an article on what the new uh, Nordstrom's store looks like. And of course, you'll always have the department store, uh, you know, anchor stores like we're all familiar with. But they're talking about putting Nordstrom stores in small footprint, high rent locations like in, in center cities um, where they wouldn't have anywhere near the volume of product but what they will have are sort of these personal style consultants. It could show you this jacket versus that jacket or this color versus that color. Kind of a boutique approach. Exactly. And what you would do is you'd go in, this person would guide you on this uh, curated uh, style journey, make some suggestions for you, allow you to order it online, have it all shipped directly to you or into the store, and then if you have it shipped into the store, or even if it's shipped to you, you could then bring it back into the store. The, the person who helped you could, could show you mix and match things or why this is better than that for you or why you might choose this over that. Take back anything you want to return right there on the spot. Let you walk out the door with anything you want to keep. Uh, if there's something you want to buy a second of in a different color or whatever, place that order right there for you as well, and you're done. But right, Nordstrom's is going to try and get closer to the customer, do this very curated buying experience, uh, and provide these sort of uh, uh, additional value uh, that's very hard to get currently in a um, in an online experience. So some, something to think about as an as an alternative idea. You, you see Amazon that's doing this. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it. This Amazon wardrobe thing, where mm-hmm. you can you know they can send you a box load of clothes and you don't actually have to pay for it until you decide what you have to what you want to keep. So. It now eliminates, they've obviously done their research to find out, and my wife is obviously part of this demographic where she goes shopping for <laughs> clothes too. and will not try them on the store because she wants to see them in her own house, right? She wants to try them with multiple pairs of shoes that she doesn't have with her at the store. She likes her mirror in our bathroom better than any other mirror because it takes, I don't know, 10 pounds off or whatever. It, it's giving them that curated buying experience to where I want to buy something, I'm not sure about it, so they're not going to lose it on that sale, and they're and Amazon's willing to take that risk, you know? And then to your also uh, example of Nordstrom doing those smaller format, high rent type format stores, uh, you've se- we've seen the city targets you know, that have exploded in growth. I mean, these are brilliant. I finally went to my first one in downtown San Diego a couple of weeks ago. And I was, it was awesome. What are they, smaller targets? It's, yeah, it's like, a, it's, it's like a target that's maybe a, a little bit bigger than your standard CVS. No kidding. Yeah, and you walk in there and they've got clothes, they've got toys, they've got medicine, they've got food items they got frozen items they've got eggs milk and bread and you walk in there's no traditional registers because that takes a lot of footprint you know a lot of real estate within the stores it's all 
there's like 20 self-service kiosks where you scan all your stuff and pay with your card. And, uh, and so anyways, it's, it's brilliant. Right. And so, and that, that concept all started from target and them wanting to get penetration across college campus towns. So they couldn't afford to put a full format target in some college town in state college PA or something like that. Maybe there is one, but they put one on campus at university of Minnesota. And that kind of was their test case. And they kind of started building them out from there and they're that's brilliant because normally i go into target i walk in for deodorant and i leave with everything else <laughs> except for the deodorant right right you know and my wife's my wife walks in for a bathing suit and she walks out without a bathing suit but everything else as well so it, you know it doesn't matter but you know it's that it's it's that buying experience where they're wanting you to put it put i mean they, they want you to bring your business there and get that you know experience where they know based on buying behaviors of what people in that demographic need or want. Well, you might not go to buy a lawnmower, but you might go buy a toaster and deodorant and some bananas. Correct. Yeah. And so therefore you have that format to be able to do that. Well, great. We, uh, we've had a fantastic discussion today. So I'd like to again, thank both Nick Koval and Jeff Broadbury for joining us today and uh, appreciate the time you've given us. And we look forward to having you join us. And please be sure to subscribe to us either on Stitcher, Google Play, or iTunes. We look forward to having you join us and and, uh, look forward to hearing from you guys again in in the near future. Thanks again. Great. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. 